Lord, in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul wrote these words. Now, thanks be to God. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Who always, that's a great word, always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Wow, Father, thanks for the inspiration of your word. Holy Spirit, we need your assistance. And I pray this year, Holy Spirit, you will manifest yourself in great power and great glory in this body of believers. Reveal to us Jesus. Show us the great work that he has done and finished and help us to know that work is to be lived out through us. So may we have victory in 2015 in those areas where we have struggled and fought. We thank you in advance, because that's your plan and will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. We're looking today at victory in the new year. And I thought, you know, well, I could preach on on fasting again, which is a a, a very important theme for us. And I, I had last Sunday done that in the morning. And as I got ready for this message on the first Sunday of the new year, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to preach victory to my people preach victory. When they learn to fast and pray, there will be victory. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Now, the only way you can win is to be on God's team. You have to get on his side of events to be on God's side. Not asking God to be on your side. Get on God's side. Be a part of God's army because we're fighting not for victory. We're fighting from victory. That's what you're going to see in this passage I've just read to you. Victory is not a destination. Victory is the beginning point for the child of God. It's where we began. And when we understand the victorious Christian life, we understand the victorious Christian life is a normal life. It's normal for Christians to be victorious. If you're not living victorious today, if you're living in defeat, You're living beneath the privilege that God has won for you. Someone said that the church has been subnormal so long that if we get normal, folks will think we're abnormal. We are at a point today where if the church is victorious, if people begin to recognize the joy they have in their walk with the Lord, if they're getting answers to their prayers, if if the body of Christ is winning other people to know Jesus, taking the gospel into our world, if they walk in victory, then people will think there's something wrong with that church. It's got to be, they're doing something wrong for all that to happen in that body. Well, it just means the church has returned to normal because the church of the Lord Jesus is a mighty fortress. And the master said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So God always, in my passage, leads us to triumph in Christ. Not only for the church, but you, as an individual, a believer, you've been born to win. So born again to win. Born of the Spirit to win. And the figure of speech from which Paul is referencing, his context, the world in which he's living, was that of the Roman government and the conquering generals that served it. During the time of the apostle, the Roman generals would go off to war. At times, they'd be gone for years, not just months. 
And when they had won the victory, here's what would happen. They would send someone back in advance into the Roman Empire, all the way to Rome, to announce victory has been won. That person was called a herald. And he would pass through every city and every village and every town, and on the way back to Rome would announce the victory of a specific general. He would call the name of that general and would say, so-and-so has won the victory over this evil king and would announce that victory had been won for Rome and everyone there was to prepare for a great victorious march and they called it the March Triumphant. So people would get ready. They would line the roads down which the conquering general would come with his army and they would prepare to hail the conquering hero with all of his troops. And he would bring back his army, and in this victory procession, there would be the spoils of battle put on display. The spoils of war, the silver, the gold, sometimes herds of sheep and cattle, all the possessions that they acquired from taking down their adversary. And there would be dancers in the streets, and there would be bands playing, and trumpeters trumpeting, and the heralders shouting about the triumph of this general. And after the victory was proclaimed and heralded, then in the main part of the procession, the conquering hero riding in his chariot. And chained to his chariot would be the enemy king whom he had conquered. A great procession was held, and the whole Roman Empire was celebrating. And in that day when the general won the victory, he won the victory on behalf of all the people. So all the people would celebrate the victory that had been won for them. It's kind of like when the 49ers win a football game, which they need to start doing. <laughs> 49er fans rejoice because they feel like they've won. So they'll have a 49er flag on their car, and they'll wear a 49er jacket. And they didn't even play in the game, and they weren't down on the field, and they didn't make a tackle, and they didn't execute a block. But anytime the 49ers win, they think they've won. We've won. And that's the way it was when the, with the Roman general when he would return from battle. When he won, the whole empire would rejoice because one of their leaders had won a great victory. That's exactly what the Bible is saying about you and me. The Bible is saying we are winners because our general is a winner. And I want to tell you, my general has never lost a war. He has never lost a battle. He has never failed to vanquish the adversary. My general has always been victorious. And because of that, he always leads me to triumph. I am triumphant through him because he won the victory. Therefore, I've won the victory. So I want you to write down some things about victory every single day for the next year, 2015. First of all, the person of our victory. The person. The person of our victory is Jesus Christ. It says we triumph, but we triumph through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the person through whom the triumph comes. His victory is our victory. He has truly won it for us. He has won it for the people that he's loved. Victory is not our destination. Victory is our starting place. We begin when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive victory that's come through him. If Christ is victorious, then I am victorious. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. 
Notice the little preposition in. It's really a small word, but you know, a mighty little key will open a mighty big door. And your victory is in Christ. That's the key to your victory. It's in the person of Jesus. And if today, if you're not living in victory, it's because you're not trusting him, not relying on him, not looking to him. The Bible says looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So if if I can't get you to do one other thing today except take your eyes off of yourself, off of your sin, off of the troubles that you have faced or will face, off of the circumstances that you're in right now, and get your eyes on Jesus, then I've been successful today because he is the key to the victory. The person of your victory is Christ. And what kind of a Christ do you serve today? A lot of believers have a Christ who is the Christ of history, but not the Christ of today. They have a Christ who seems to be the Christ who could do great things yesterday, but he can't ever seem to do anything great today. He could do stuff for other people, but he can't do things for us. I'm here to tell you God wants to do great and mighty things in your life for you. The Bible says you are more than a conqueror through the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are the head and not the tail, that you are chosen by God. Royal blood courses through your veins. So how do I know all these blessings become ours in 2015? Because Jesus made it all possible Because of what Jesus has done, demons tremble at the sound of his matchless name. Because of what Jesus has done, the powers of darkness have to flee. Because of what Jesus has done, death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its victory. Who is the person of your victory? God causes you to triumph in Christ. In Christ. In Christ, you are a part of the victory procession. The march triumphant. So how about claiming victory in 2015? How about being a victor and not a victim in 2015? How about becoming a warrior, armored up instead of a warrior about everything? (laughs) Why don't you say this new year, this is going to be the best year yet for the glory of God? God says in his word, if you say to the mountain, be removed and don't doubt in your heart, you get what you say. It's confession that brings manifestation. Confess the victory before the victory comes. And second, there is the the power of our victory. The power of our victory. It says here that we triumph. I like that word. The Romans came back from war. It was called the march triumphant. We triumph, Paul said, in Christ. He causes us to triumph. And the Bible teaches us that just as the Roman generals would lead in this great procession, Christ led our great procession. In this victory procession, chained to the chariot would be the the king over whom he had won the victory. And the scripture tells us some things about that victory procession, the march triumphant. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. So that's all of us. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's the power of our victory. Our victory through Christ has the power to destroy the works of the devil. In Hebrews, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. He became a man. 
that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So the Bible says Jesus became a man, flesh and blood. He went to the cross. The world looked at him at the cross. They saw a man hanging there with nails through his hands and feet, with blood streaming from almost every part of his body. And they said, he's defeated. He's finished. The world looked at the cross and said, it's defeat. But the Father looked at the cross and said, it's not defeat. It's victory. Because Jesus, through his death, destroyed him who has power of death. And what does it mean he destroyed him who had the power of death? Well, a lot of people say, well, you know, the devil's been chained. You know, he's kind of chained up. Well, if he has, he's on a mighty long chain because he's pretty active these days. He's active in every life. He's always looking for a way to trip all of us up, to do harm to each of us. He's active in the life of the body of Christ. He's active in our culture and in our world. Look at what's going on, the evil, the brutality, the unbelievable stuff people do. He's the prince of the power of the air. We are in a battle today. If you don't know you're in a battle, you better wake up. Get your eyes open because every child of God is in a battle. But the Bible says that Jesus through death destroyed him who has the power of death. Now, it doesn't mean he obliterated the devil. It did not mean that the devil vanished. But it means the devil was vanquished. And through the power of the cross, Jesus took the power of Satan in your life so he no longer has power over you unless you cede him that power. The power of the cross is our victory. So when Paul says God causes us always to triumph through the Lord Jesus Christ, through Christ means through the power of the cross. What Jesus did on the cross brought power to us to overcome the one who held us in death. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So what the enemy thought was victory was total defeat. Paul again has in mind this victory procession, this march triumphant. And not only was the enemy king tied to the chariot, but as the chariot made its way down the processional route, the enemy king would fall from time to time and stumble and get dragged by the chariot. As a matter of fact, he had all of his clothing stripped off of his body. He was totally defeated, totally exposed, totally humiliated. You might know from memory John 3:16, for God so loved the world. But if you don't understand what happened when Jesus died on the cross, you're not going to know the power of your victory. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And look at the word disarmed, and it means stripped, to be totally exposed. It means to have your credentials and your authority taken away, just like a defeated king who was chained to the chariot of the victor, his clothing had been stripped away, his crown has been removed. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He stripped away from the enemy all of his power and authority. That's what he did. When he died on the cross, he stripped Satan. He exposed him, stripped him of his authority and his credentials. And not only that, but he said Jesus made a public spectacle of him. That is, he shamed him. Not only did he strip him, he shamed him. 
he humiliated him publicly and openly. All the demons of hell thought the cross is definitely a defeat for Jesus. <laughs> We've got him right where we want him. And they shouted because Jesus died on the cross. And they got him. We got him. And they howled, no doubt, with glee. Look, we've won this battle. But the glee turned into horror because they watched Jesus rise from the dead and come up out of that tomb. And, and, and as he did, he stripped Satan and he shamed Satan and then he subdued Satan. Look at what it says. Triumphing over them in it. He took all of, the, all of the minions of hell and put them all under his feet and says, you are now under my authority. In other words, Satan has been totally subdued by the power of the cross. Now, he wants us to think he's undefeatable. He wants us to believe we'll never have a victory. He wants you to believe that somehow we cannot claim the power of God in 2015. I want to tell you today, Satan in your life has been stripped shamed and subdued and he's chained to the chariot of the Lord Jesus Christ and he's got no power no dominion over you except that which you allow him to have remember Samson when he died it's an interesting story of this great judge in the book of Judges anointed Samson mighty Samson thousand soldiers of the Philistine army killed him once at once in one place at one time. But one day he got a haircut in the devil's barbershop. And he lost the power that he once held with God. Because he was disobedient to the Lord. But he came back to the Lord. Thank God he gives us another chance. Amen. And as he's in that prison, they had chained Samson. The Philistines had chained him turned him into a slave, tied him to a wheel and made him grind meal like an oxen. They made sport of him and they looked at him and laughed at him and said, Samson, where's your God? Where's your victory? Where's your power? You're helpless, as is your God. They'd spit on him and curse the name of his God. But Samson prayed and his heart was truly repentant. And the symbol of that authority and obedience to the Lord, his hair began to grow back. Remember on one day, they had this great, huge feast day for their pagan god, and they said, let's bring Samson out for our entertainment, and we can mock him. So they bring this mighty man who was so strong in the anointing of the Spirit that he could lift the gates off the hinges of a city, put them on his back, and run up a hill with them without ever missing a beat. They brought this giant of a man before the gallery of people who had been called together to worship their pagan god. They thought, we're going to have a good time. We're going to blaspheme the name of the God of Israel. We'll humiliate this god, Samson says he served. But Samson said to the boy, taking him out to make sport, take me to the pillars of the temple. Because he remembered, though he had been blinded and could no longer see, he remembered the pillars that held up this mighty pagan temple. He knew those pillars that day would be supporting thousands who had gathered there to worship this demon. So Samson is led over to the pillars of the temple, and he puts one arm around one pillar, his other arm around the other pillar, and he bowed his head, and he prayed, Oh God, one more time. Just grant me one more time 
the anointing of the Spirit, the strength that only you can provide. Use me one more time. And the Bible says the power and the Holy Spirit of God came upon Samson, and with a mighty heave, he pulled this one pillar, and it came down. With another mighty heave, he pulled the other pillar, and it came down, and the entire temple collapsed, killing the thousands of demon-worshiping pagans who would not worship the God of Israel, who had blasphemed and mocked the name of a holy God. And those people came crashing to their death. And the Bible says that Samson, even though he died in the rubble, because he died well, slew more of the enemies of God that day than he did all of his entire career serving the Lord. And when you flip over to Hebrews 11, you'll find his name listed as one of God's great heroes of faith. That's exactly what happened when Jesus died on the cross. Hell was mocking, blaspheming, calling him, if you're the son of God, come down. But Jesus on the cross of Calvary reached out with this nail-pierced hand and put his arm around that enemy, that pillar called sin. He reached out with his other nail-pierced arm and put that arm around that other pillar, that other enemy called death. And Jesus Christ on the cross pulled down the enemy of death and the enemy of sin, and he through his death destroyed the power of him that held power of death over our lives. That is the devil. And today he causes us to triumph because Jesus through his death caused us to have victory. Amen. And he wants you to have victory in 2015. Third is the place of our victory, the place. Back in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, this is the place of our victory. Where can we have victory? Just in church on Sunday? In a home group during the week? Where can we have victory? Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So I want you to see three words in this passage for this particular point. Always, every place. That's the place of our victory. It's not that sometimes we're victorious. It's not in some situations we gain victory. It's not that most of the time we have victory. He says that we always have the victory. In every place, we have the victory. In every circumstance, we are victorious. Because no matter what move the enemy tries to make on the board, we still have the trump, Jesus, in our hand. I want to ask you this morning, does this characterize your life? Is your life characterized by rejoicing in the victory that belongs to you? It's not always, is it? It's been a struggle in 2014. Many times we forget the place of our victory. Many times we take our eyes off of Jesus and we're looking at our circumstances and the adversary seems to be winning in this round. And instead of having victory, we find ourselves collapsing into defeat and we're subject then to our circumstances and subject to what's reigning in our circumstances, and we think the enemy reigns in our circumstances. What's wrong with our Christianity? And we ought to be reigning in our circumstances. 
Why aren't Christians living victoriously? Why aren't we winning battles against the... Why are Christians today defeated and always coming around saying, we can't do this and we can't do that and this can't be done and that can't be done and we can't take our promised land and the promises of God belong to somebody else but they don't belong to us. It's because we're not claiming the place of our victory. He always, in every place, causes us to triumph through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his promise. But there are those who don't appropriate that victory. That's theirs. So Calvary Christian Center, understand what victory is. Victory is not the absence of struggle. Victory is not the absence of problems in life. I'm not standing here and saying that the Bible teaches us if you become a Christian, you'll not have a difficulty. I'm not preaching that that you'll never have a heartache, that you'll not have problems with your children, that you'll not have a struggle on the job, that you'll not have an adverse circumstance that you don't want in your life. Nowhere in all of the Word of God is that taught, ever. As a matter of fact, Paul, who gave us the passage that my text is from today, was a man who knew very little except adversity and struggle. I mean, he was in battles throughout all the places he went in ministry. And the language that he uses is the language of an athlete who wins only after a lot of struggle. And Paul has just told us, we are always victorious. Then look at what he says. 2 Corinthians 4. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. This is the same man who said, we always triumph in Christ. Would you call trouble triumph? Well, Paul did. Would you call persecution triumph? Paul did. He said, because there's going to get victory in here. Would you call being distressed triumph? Paul did. He said, he always causes us to triumph, even in those places. And he's using a figure from the world of athletics, using the figure related to a wrestler. Notice what he says. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not distressed. It's the picture of a wrestler in UCW, hard-pressed. The wrestler struggles, wrestles with his opponent. It's difficult. It's strenuous. Finally, the opponent goes down. He's thrown on the mat, and he's got to get both of his shoulders flat down on the mat before that opponent is defeated. And Paul says, we have an opponent. And the devil sometimes threw him down. And sometimes he was on the mat. But he said, he may put me down on the mat, but he never pins my shoulders to the mat. Have you ever noticed on wrestling how this guy will get pushed down to the mat and you think he's, he's defeated, it's over. How in the world can he win? He's been hit over the head. He's been thrown out of the ring two or three times. He's been jumped up and down on by the guy you know, on his chest. And, and all of these things have happened to him. And finally, he's slapped back down on the mat. How in the world can he survive? And yet before his opponent can pin both shoulders to the mat, he flips the opponent off of him. And he's back up on his feet. And you wonder, how in the world did that happen? Did the referee miss the count? This could be it. If he hits it, it's over, McMahon. Not your king. Randy Savage leaps in! Yeah, he got it! 
Some of you have been thrown down on the mat. Some of you got a bad report about your health, and you've been thrown down on the mat. Some of you got news that your job was terminated. You've been thrown down on the mat. Some of you have been discouraged. Some of you have been in despair. Some of you have been depressed. Some of you have been praying, and God hasn't answered at the moment you needed him to answer from your perspective, and you've been smacked down on the mat. That doesn't mean you can't have victory in 2015. The new year will not be without its satanic attacks, without its difficulties, and without its obstacles. But these things cannot deny us the victory that God has for us in the new year. So here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, the devil may put you down on the mat. He may even get you flat on your back, except he's not going to be able to pin your shoulders. Never. You may be down, but you're not out. That's what the apostle's saying. He's saying we're troubled, but not distressed. We're pressed down, but not pinned. Then he goes on to say we're perplexed, but not in despair. And the word perplexed means we look around and see no way out. You may be in a situation you think there's no way out. And yet there is a way out if you know Jesus. There's always a way out. And Jesus, when there's not a way, Jesus, I promise you, makes a way. Then he says, persecuted but not forsaken. It's kind of the idea of being in a race. In the middle of the race, you fall down on the track. You slip or get tripped. You've fallen down on the track, but you haven't been beaten. You haven't been defeated. You get up and dust yourself off, and you continue on. For the glory of God, I was watching a, a, a race with all ladies. Uh, they, were, they were doing uh, so many laps, and it was for a specific prize and an award and qualification for the next level of competition. In that race, one of the young ladies was tripped inadvertently and went down. She got right back up and jumped right back into her cadence in her lane And not only finished the race, she won the race after having fallen. And I looked at that and I said, now that is what a Christian should look like. You get up and dust yourself off and you continue on for the glory of God. When Billy Graham began his ministry, many people criticized him. He was just a kid out of the Carolinas. And he would go preaching in tents, one of which he did in Los Angeles. Many people said he doesn't have much education He doesn't have enough backing. And uh, while in L.A. preaching under the big tent, the newspaper made remarks about him, disparaging him. And one of those individuals that was in that tent crusade, whose entire book was written about, called Unbroken, now a movie, Louis Zepperini, had come back from war. The movie doesn't cover this in detail, this part of it. But coming back from war, he was full of post-traumatic stress after what he had faced. The book outlines what he faced, the terrible things that went on that happened to him. He became an alcoholic. His wife was about to divorce him. She had already filed the papers. He was waking up in the middle of the night and attacking her because of his stress. He couldn't cope. She went to Billy's crusade under a tent and gave her heart to Jesus. Finally, she convinced her husband two or three nights later to go along. He didn't want to go. He wanted nothing to do with it, but he went. 
In that crusade, he gave his life to Jesus. His alcoholism immediately stopped. His post-traumatic stress bouts were over. His entire life was turned around for the glory of God in this skinny little kid from the Carolinas revival. Well, Billy went on to Madison Square Garden in New York City. Instead of now a tent, he went to this big arena in New York. What a place for spiritual renewal. Wow. And Billy asked Ethel Waters, a black movie star and a singer, to attend and sing and to give her testimony for Jesus in that revival in Madison Square Garden. She agreed. And just before the opening night, newspaper editor called Ethel Waters and said, I heard you're going to sing for Billy Graham in his meeting at Madison Square Garden. She said, that's right. And he said to her, don't you know that's going to be disastrous to your career? Because that young man is going to be a colossal flop. He's not going to make a dent in this city. And she said, no, sir, mister. He's not going to be a flop because God don't sponsor no flops. And let me tell you something on the first Sunday of 2015. You are not a flop. You are not a failure. There's not a believer in Jesus who has ever been a flop or a failure or ever shall be. God don't sponsor no flops. You may have fallen down. Get up for the glory of God. Dust yourself off. Press on. Press forward for Jesus. You're a winner in Jesus Christ. And look at what Paul says, persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That means knocked down, but not knocked out. The devil will deal you some blows. Life can deal you some blows. But he cannot knock you out. That's the place of your victory. You've got triumph. You have strength from a place you never knew. It's not the subtraction of problems from life, but the addition of power to meet those problems and to continue bringing glory to Jesus. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created being shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the chapter in which Paul says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's not just that we conquer through him. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And in conclusion, the praise of our victory. Watch what happens. 2 Corinthians 2. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Another thing they did in that march triumphant, they burned incense of thanksgiving. They filled the city with sweet-smelling aroma incense of praise for the conquering general. Everywhere in those cities and hamlets, you could smell sweet aroma. It was the aroma of victory for the empire. Calvary Christian Center, did you know that victory smells sweet? Victory in Christ is the sweetest, sweetest fragrance you'll ever inhale. Victory has a fragrant aroma. I love to smell victory. When victory comes, there's a praise of victory that erupts out of us that becomes a sweet-smelling aroma. Apostles Paul and Silas are placed in this Philippian dungeon. They've been beaten with rods, 
because they preached the gospel of Jesus. They were bloodied. They didn't even have a trial. And they're stuck in the lowest part of the prison in stocks. And it's a hellhole. It's worse than the carved out of rock little dungeon where they kept Paul outside of the Roman form. This is worse. There are vermin everywhere. The stench of human waste everywhere. They were being treated worse than animals. It was dark. There were no lights. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God. Wow. The prisoners heard them. And one of the mightiest manifestations God ever sent, he sent to this dingy dungeon because the Bible says he sent an earthquake to that prison and the jail doors sprung open and the chains fell off all the prisoners. But not a prisoner escaped because they were awe-stricken by a God who responded to prayer and praise. The mighty intervention of God in that prison saved the jailer in his whole house. Now, understand, the scripture is very clear. The prisoners heard them, it says, singing and praising the Lord. No doubt they had heard plenty of cursing from that prison dungeon, but they'd never heard singing. They heard a lot of crying in that dungeon, but they'd never heard praising. And when you're in the midst of a dark hour, express the praise of God's victory in your life. Not only will God deliver you on your behalf, but other people will see and observe and hear and gloriously know there is a God that you serve that works on your behalf. And through your advertisement of Jesus, diffusing the fragrance of his victory in every place you go, this year, people's lives should be changed by what God has done in delivering you out of the chains of darkness of your sin. When you learn to praise God every moment of this new year, no matter what the circumstances may be, God will send you victory. It may not be in your personal moment, but it might be for the person who's heard you, observed you, seen you, watched you. He'll break the chains of those that are bound and set you free. You can overcome every giant you face in 2015. And if you want that kind of victory in your life this, this year, stand to your feet, bless the name of the Lord, praise him with your whole heart, pray and sing praises to God, and bless the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord.